Welcome to Equipus Christchurch. Equipus Church is a whole lot of friends championing one another to go higher in Christ. For more details, check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch. Oh, it's so cool to be here uh, at our Christchurch, with our Christchurch family. Um, one of the things I love about uh, Equipus and this movement is just uh, the family connections, eh? So, uh, yeah, good friends with um, Pastor Jono and Emma and... Uh, but just seeing, you know, like Nick and Feeds walking in, uh, who obviously they're lo- locals just returning. Uh, but to see familiar faces, uh, you know, George and Nicole, uh, even seeing Etu, like there's, there's just this beautiful interwoven relationship that happened in this movement. Um, that I think is quite special and it's real easy to, to miss often um, the, the need for the interwoven relationships, right? And, and especially if you've been coming along for a little while, you might be so familiar with just seeing people and seeing people turn up and then people leave um, that you can miss the, the, the how, how blessing, how much of a blessing these uh, relationships can be. Um, I know a number of years ago in Auckland, we had this um, huge power cut, uh, it, it did make the news as well, so it was pretty massive, right? Like thousands and thousands of homes affected. A lot of business owners were stressing out because they're losing money. Uh, families without power. My parents were crying because uh, KFC was closed. Uh, it was it was a terrible time for the community. Um, but like when they finally figured out where the the power cut came from, um, it was this little power plant in uh, South Auckland. Um, and it was just this one power pole that had a, like, rusty, loose bolt. It, ba- it basically came down to that. Just this one little rusty, loose bolt affected this entire network of, of, of power, right? And, and, and to me, that's always given me a good picture of my place within the relationships. But I just want to say as well, for, for, for anyone here, you're so needed in this house, not just here at Corpus Christchurch, but in the movement, you are so needed. Your place is important because one person out of place, just it does affect the wider network of relationships, right? We need you in this house. And I don't, I don't mean that as in like, if we didn't have you, wouldn't have a bass player or someone to run kids, okay? Uh, it's, it's not necessarily just your, your service, but it's, it's the the relationships that and the life that you bring to this house is so, so important. And so it's, it's so cool to be here. Um, as Pastor John said, my name is Bola. Uh, real honored to be here with uh, my wife, Courtney. Um, who's, it's good to have her here because she can keep me accountable. Uh, when I, whenever I travel to preach, I, I get to say things like I'm an awesome husband and things like that. But she will be here to make sure I say the truth. Uh, and we've got our three-year-old Remy, who's uh, enjoying kids as well. Um, but this morning, I really, really felt to talk on um, something that I'm still getting the hang of and uh, definitely trying to improve on, which is uh, this word here. Let me throw it up. Uh, stewardship. Now, um, stewardship's a funny word, right? Because it's one of those words, you know how Christianity loves to, like, claim words? And own it, like, you know, even though it's, it's, it's a word that it's applicable everywhere else, but it's like, nah, that's Christianity's word now. You know, if, uh, words like atmosphere. That's our word now, right? You hear atmosphere, you just think, oh, yeah, atmosphere. Uh, you know, fruition. 
that's a that's a Christian word, all right? But I think stewardship is a is definitely a Christian word now. Uh, but may, maybe some of us aren't super aware of or familiar with, or we hear it so often that we're not quite sure what it's uh, what it means, and we might even box it into meaning uh, just around money. Uh, but I, I kind of wanted to unpack this a little bit more. So stewardship. Number two is probably the, the, the key part here, which is the careful and responsible management of something entrusted to one's care. So the careful and responsible management of something that's entrusted to you. And uh, I'm pretty sure, like, I'm not the only one that's guilty of this, but um, I have a lot of people who, who in, in, his, in my past, have uh, struggled to trust me, right? Because of... <laughs> of how I have uh, uh, managed the things that were given to me. Like, I'm sure I can't be the only one. Hands up if you've ever broken something growing up, like a, a window. Classic A, you know, like a ball going through the window. I, f- I feel like is quintessential childhood, um, right? Or, or even just dropping a plate or something like that. Uh, my, my big one was my family would, and friends would stop trusting me with around food. You know, like, if, if you're out eating and you leave your plate there and go, oh, can you just watch this while I go and do something, right? I, I'm not trustworthy. I will eat your food, right? That's, that's definitely me. Um, but even, even one that was uh, more of a struggle was around my family. Um, I remember quite young because uh, we had a lot of kids in our family, right? That's awesome. Man, I was, I was in awe. We were standing there watching our child joined a massive ocean of children. It was very cool to be in a fruitful house. Yeah. Um, but uh, in my family, we had a lot of kids, right? And uh, I remember being handed a newborn baby when I was probably like six or seven years old. I, I don't know if anyone else have families like that where it's just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. The kids raise the kids also. Uh, I was definitely from a family like that. And I... I this is terrible to say. I probably shouldn't say this. You know, you might lose respect for my sermon. But um, the way I was holding the baby wasn't so secure. And the um, baby kind of slipped out of its uh, wrap. And luckily, I'm quite, I was shorter, right? So it was lower to the ground. But there's no nice way of saying it. I dropped the baby um, <laughs> as, a, as a child. <laughs> I know. My, actually, I, my wife didn't know this, so. but yeah, we've got a child now. I've had a lot of practice, right? Um, but I remember people sh- struggling to trust me around, like, holding their kids from that point on. Uh, but it, it, it's something that um, is definitely true when it comes to stewardship, is that the way that you manage what you currently have does affect people's trust of you for how you are going to manage things in the future. Right, your present way of management, uh, your present management of what you have, and this is not just financial; it's everything. Um, does dictate, in a sense, uh, how people trust you, and I think that it's important to acknowledge that, especially as God looks to houses of going, where is safety? Where is a a, pla- a place that I can trust to unleash my blessing? Right? Especially because we serve a God who desires to see everyone reconciled. He's constantly looking and trying to find safe places. Uh, and so I think this is a really, really important concept for us as believers to, to get hold of. 
so that God sees this as a house of safety, right? And, and I, I sometimes struggle with this because I think we can get so caught up and, and hear me out, this is one of the things I love about Equippers is our big vision, uh, especially coming out of Sundays like uh, the, the vision offering where we talk about the big, big vision uh, and that stuff is super, super important. But um, it's, it's, it's really important also, not just how we, uh, our energy and our management of the big things, it's also how we manage the, the little things, right? And, and this is a well-known scripture in Luke, uh, which says, whoever can be trusted with little can also be trusted with much. Whoever is dishonest with little will be dishonest with much. So this is an idea that like Jesus is big on, is, is your management of the little things or even seemingly insignificant little things kind of determines how trustworthy or how you are going to manage the bigger things. And, and as I said, like sometimes, but this, this is just the way that my brain works. I, I, like, I like thinking about the big dreams that we have and going, actually, like, what does that even mean? Right? And so I don't know if anyone here is uh, really into Microsoft Office, but I prepared a little Excel sheet, right? But this is a, this is a statement you often hear in church, in our church as well. Eh? You've heard this before, right? I want to see my city saved, right? Which is a huge statement, and it's true. We definitely want to see our city saved. We definitely want to see Christchurch saved, right? And so um, I, I, I kind of did this. John and I were having uh, disagreements about what the... Uh, the actual population of Christchurch was. Uh, Johnny believes it's much closer to 600,000. Um, but the census does say it's closer to 400,000. So we'll go somewhere in the middle. But with that many people, even if you had like 400 spirit-filled churches, 400 safe places, each church would still need to house about 1,000 people if we were going to see our city safe. And, and, and that means some pretty interesting things like, and I'm being generous here, right? Let's say uh, a venue for Sunday would need, you know, a pretty big venue or a, a decent sized venue where we can run multiple services, but that's going to cost quite a bit, right? Just each Sunday. Um, then you'd need coffees on Sunday, obviously, right? So let's say we're across a Sunday for that many people, we're running about 500 coffees. Uh, and I, I priced it pretty cheap at $3 per coffee. Yeah, that's a decent, decent coffee. Um, then obviously with a, a church of that size, you'd have a pretty decent sized youth group. So you'd need like a 350 seater for, for youth on Fridays. Um, then you'd need a whole lot of vans for, for transport, about 15 maybe to, to be able to go into the different parts of the community and pick up your, your, your youth. That's quite a lot of vans there. Um, and then of course, so essential to youth ministry is our favorite $5 pizzas from Domino's, right? Yes, give it up. Thank you, Domino's. So just sponsor us, please. Um, but every Friday, I, for that size youth group, we'd probably need about 150 pizzas every single Friday, right? And so at a weekly cost, we're looking around something like $7,350, which takes our yearly budget to around $338,000, right? And, and, and that's, that's an oversimplification, right? That doesn't include any staffing. That doesn't include uh, what we need to do for kids' ministry. doesn't include any of the gear. 
um, that we kind of need to, like, this is oversimplified, but when we say these big things like, I want to see my city saved, right? And there's even other needs that are, we just, we'd need 100 leaders, at least, right? We'd need about 90 e-groups, right? We'd, we'd need, especially for youth, we'd need 30 full licensed drivers, which is more than I think our whole movement has currently, right? But, but isn't, isn't it funny? We, we say these things a lot. We go, man, I want to see my city saved. But when you break it down, like, that's, it's a big thing we're asking. And of course God wants to do it. God wants to see the city saved. But we can go, oh, I want to see my the city saved. But we need to remember, whoever can be trusted with little can be trusted with much. 100% we want to see Christ should save, 100%. But there are little things that I, I, I believe if we can get a hold of managing and stewarding well these little things, it, it provides a safer platform for God to go, cool, I can release. I can release more. Right? Even, like, this, this tripped me out when I noticed this detail in, in the resurrection story. Um, but even Jesus does this. It's a funny little detail that's noted. Um, when, when they find the empty tomb, but um, in, in John's telling of it, he makes a little note of this detail. It's not just an empty tomb, but in verse 7 he says, the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and it was lying apart from all the other wrappings. Like, that just buzzes me out. Right, that, that the Jesus, God coming down to earth in human form after doing all of this ministry, you know, sacrificing himself on the cross, descending, conquering the grave and conquering death, resurrected. Before he goes and he goes and launches basically the church and empowers the disciples and um paves the way for the Holy Spirit to come through. Before he does all of that, he folded his clothes up. <laughs> and our parents are like, amen, come on, preach this. But how, how buzzy is that? This king that we can stand and worship and go, man, you're the man, you're awesome, God. Took the time because like, I, I need to go this, do this really essential part of, of God's redemptive plan. But before I do that, I'll just fold up my clothes this is what I'm saying. It's, it's, it's okay to have big mission and big vision, right? But there are some fundamental small things that I think if we can get better at the stewardship thing, man, we can, we can really provide a better platform for God to do the big stuff that he wants to do. And God wants to do big things through your life, through this church. But it's, it's our ability to steward the little things well. And so there's a whole lot of things that I could talk about in terms of the little things that we could steward, right? In terms of like the little opportunities or maybe even money. You might have heard people say money is the lowest form of stewardship, um, which kind of depends how much money you have. Like, <laughs> I mean, as someone that grew up really poor, um, my family didn't have lots of money. That's what being poor is. Um, it's, it's hard to steward nothing. Uh, <laughs> but... But there, there are other, other things that are so, um, that I think everyone has almost equal opportunity to steward. And, and I wanted to unpack what it looks like to steward your own well-being. 
in particular, your mental and emotional well-being. Because everyone has thoughts, everyone has feelings, and it's probably one of the most important things that uh, often gets overlooked in terms of its effect, flow-on effect on how our life pans out, right? Um, and, and in Hebrews, um, which everyone's familiar with Hebrews 11, the, the faith chapter, right? And then it goes through all of these epic faith legends and what they achieved and accomplished through faith. But then in Hebrews 12, it says, because of this great cloud of witnesses that we have, right? All these legends, this is the, the encouragement it gives us. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us. And, and I quite like that the writer has separated the two. Because often our um, view of, of the Christian journey is, let's just, it's management of sin. Whereas sin is often not the thing that trips people up. It's, it's I, I would say, and I know this is a, a, a risky thing to say, but I would say more often, pe- the thing that knocks people off their faith journey isn't necessarily sin, but it's that everything that hinders. It's not the big sin struggles, it's just the little thing that slow people down. And, and um, the, the Passion Translation gives us a, a, a different version of that same scripture, but it says, let go of every wound that has pierced us and the sin we so easily fall into. And um, I, I looked kind of into a few commentaries um, and the, the, the commentaries kind of unpack the idea or the, the image or the metaphor that the writer is using and I'm not sure if, is everyone here, has anyone seen Apocalypto? The movie? <laughs> yes. A few of us. All right. I only needed one hand. I was going to use it anyway. All right. But um, Apocalypto is this gruesome film, right? But basically in like old, old, olden days, um, in some countries, um, they used to have like this twisted, sick form of entertainment, right? Which is what the gladiators and the coliseums and stuff were. Um, and often they would use um, slaves as, as the way of entertaining the, the really wealthy people. But there was this one version where they would essentially let these um, slaves on an obstacle course. That if they got to the end, they basically earned their freedom. But the obstacle course was often rigged with like huge traps um, and um, they would have people at the starting line that would like fire arrows and stuff. And so the picture that they're using here is similar to that obstacle course. So there's these traps along the way, but there's wounds that they pick up along the way that makes it even more difficult for them to finish the race. And so when, when the writer says, Let's go, let go of everything that hinders you, it's not necessarily the thing that's ahead. It's the wounds that you have picked up along your journey that is slowing you down. It's the wounds that you have suffered from um, experiences growing up or experiences in your relationships or experiences in your workplace, wounds that you've picked up that you've just kept on going that are slowing you down. And, and the encouragement is you need to let go Avoid not just the traps that are ahead, but also the wounds that you've picked up along the way. And, and, and that's the kind of thing that I kind of feel like, man, I've, I've been encouraged to steward better my 
my thought life and my, f- my emotions because um, that stuff is often the thing that does affect the, our everyday living. Right? When, when Romans 12 says, let us be transformed by the renewing of, it's not our renewing of our behaviors. Just try harder to give up this. Just try harder to stop doing that. It's not that it's be transformed by the renewing of your mind, which is basically saying all the things that your brain has picked up, let go of that stuff. All the wrong ways of thinking, you need to be transformed by letting go of those things. And you might be familiar with this, but this is uh, what I refer to as the hierarchy of beliefs. But it's essentially a pyramid that that gives us um, the idea that no behavior is random. So every single behavior is influenced by different layers beneath it. So our behaviors are influenced by our feelings, our feelings are influenced by our thoughts, and then our thoughts are influenced by our beliefs, underlying things that we believe to be true about ourselves or the world around us. And the writer here is saying, maybe you've picked up some wounds along the way in this belief tier that is influencing everything else that you need to let go of in order to keep on that journey and finish that race. It's letting go of those things that you've picked up, right? And this is not like a a random thought. Um, I like this quote, which is um, a Christian quoting Mahatma Gandhi. Uh, Your beliefs become your thoughts and your thoughts become your words. Your words become your actions. Your actions become your habits. Your habits become your values and your values become your destiny. But there is this undeniable flow-on effect from things that you have believed to be true and the way that it affects all the way to the end on how you behave. And I, I, I do believe in terms of stewardship, this is probably a really, maybe not the lowest form of stewardship, but definitely one key important form of stewardship and how you manage your thought life and your, and your, uh, your mental and emotional well-being. Uh, and so I kind of want to just unpack these are, these are what I'm going to go into now is uh, these five key, five king lies. Um, and this is not, not my original idea. I've taken this off um, a counselor that I used to see. Uh, and, but this counselor was like epic, not just through experience, um, but he'd, he'd done over 80,000 hours of counseling, of one-on-one counseling. And they reckon that if you do, to master a skill, you have to do 100,000 hours of something, right? To, to completely master a skill. Um, I, I think I'm a pretty good public speaker, but even when I calculate the amount of, I think I'm only about like 4,000 something hours of, of public speaking, right? So he'd done 80,000 one-on-one um, counseling. And so he had kind of, um, through all of the different people that he'd worked with, he had come up with this 12 king lies that he basically every client that he um, was working with could kind of filter them through and go, oh, this is this king lie. Oh, this is this king lie. Um, and I've, I've taken five of the most, the five the most common. There are five that definitely resonated a lot with me. And I essentially just want to go through and um, I'm, I am asking that people do a very real, honest uh, stock take of your own mental and emotional well-being. Um, so, so let me just quickly pray before I 
go into that because I do believe the Holy Spirit will be pressing on different things for individuals. But I just pray that you keep open and allow God to um, work through some of those those lies that we may have uh, picked up along the way. Let me, let me just quickly pray. Thank you, God. Lord, I thank you that your desire is for us to live thriving lives. Um, and God, as we are encouraged to let go of everything that hinders us, every wound that has pierced us, God, I pray in this moment, would you just even reveal to us, Holy Spirit, um, maybe even the wounds that we've kept uh, hidden from our own thoughts or that we've uh, kind of repressed from memory. And God, we just pray that this would be a safe environment for you to, to minister and bring healing in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Cool. And so it would be super helpful if you can kind of keep this pyramid in mind as I go through. So the king lies are basically the thing that's at the bottom. Um, now, the first one is, uh, the first big king lie is, my choices don't matter. Um, and often for people who have this king lie, they can have um, um, thoughts like, it just won't happen to me. Uh, it's a pretty classic Kiwi attitude of, should be all right. It'll be all good. Um, maybe even around relationships, you know, they'll just think, oh, it'll, it'll, it'll pass, they'll forgive it, they'll forget it. But it's essentially the idea that nothing you do has any weight or bearing on, uh, on the future or on other people's futures. There are no consequences necessarily or benefits to your decisions. And so it can either be a very... Um, disempowering uh, belief or king lie. So it can lead people to, to having a lot of regrets and shame because if you don't think that your choices have any sort of consequences, you basically never do risk assessment. And risk assessment is so important, right? We do this all the time. Everyone's always assessing risk. Crossing the road, do I cross now? No, there's a car coming across. Um, you know, or talking to people. Should I go say hello? What if they give me a funny face? Um, you know, you're always asking this stuff. You're always assessing risk. But if the king lie is that my choices don't have any, don't matter, don't have any consequences, um, you're never really able to equate that your choices have power. And th and this is so different to the the way that God views humanity especially because he's a very empowering God. You, you look at the interactions between God and people, it's often, often one that, that gives us free will. It's one that gives us choices. Yes, he's encouraging of a particular choice, you know, as, as you might hear when he says things like, um, you know, you choose this day, but I'm, I'm, I'm begging you, choose life, but you choose, right? Or for God so loved the world, he gave his only son, and it's not just leave it there, but whoever believes, there's a choice attached to it. And so if you grow up thinking that, oh, yeah, you know, you can, you can end up often feeling stuck. As in, oh, I can't really do anything to change this. This is just the way it is. Um, this is just how the ministry is. Uh, everyone in my family struggles with this stuff. And, and, and basically you... You um, push away any responsibility of the, uh, the, the fact that your choices can make a difference. So it could be that. And, I, and I've worked with a lot of people even who struggled with this idea of, oh, 
No, their choices don't matter. And so sometimes it can come from right at a young age where maybe a choice was made and it had too much weight, it had too much consequence that you decided, I can't make any decisions because, you know, it's too much of a responsibility. My choices don't matter. Another um, one that uh, people can tend to have is uh, this king lie of my feelings are always right. Right. Uh, I think this is something that's definitely uh, evident in, in today's generation, um, in, in good and bad ways, but we are very emotion-based. Um, we do a lot of emotion-based reasoning. So if I don't feel a certain thing, it can't be true. Right? Or if I feel a certain thing, it must be true. Uh, and people who believe this, that my feelings are always right, you might hear random thoughts like, oh, but I love them. You know, because it's a feeling. I feel the certain way. Um, I feel dumb, so I must be, you know, the, the, the classic, your feelings dictate what truth or reality is. I feel dumb. I must be dumb. Or I feel ugly. I must be ugly. Um, or even, even down to just, um, as I said, emotion-based reasoning where people go, oh, just not really feeling it. Oh, why'd you, why'd you leave that job? Oh, just wasn't me anymore. Or why'd you, you know, stop going along to that church? Nah, I just wasn't feeling it. Um, and, and this is definitely a king lie that, that needs to get addressed. Because I'm sure most people here would acknowledge, like, just quietly put your hand up. But hands up, <laughs> if you've ever, if your feelings have ever led you to make a decision that panned out wrong. Yeah, yeah, me too. And so the good thing to be reminded of is if our feelings have lied to us before, they can lie to us again, right? And, and, and people who have this underlying belief that your feelings are always right, um, it obviously the way it pans up through thoughts, thoughts and feelings can lead into often just reading into things. They're sometimes the ease, most easily offended just because if, if you're feeling a certain way, it must be true. Right? I, I, I don't like what you're saying, so uh, it must be true. Um, arguments and relationship problems. Uh, and, and this last one's a pretty key, but if you have this kind of king lie, um, it can lead even to having out-of-place anxiety, as in you feel in danger even when it's safe. Um, so, so you can feel like uh, everyone is laughing at me when... You know, maybe it's a different conversation over there. So out of place anxiety, but also out of place safety. Where all your friends might be able to see, oh, you probably should get out of that relationship. You're like, oh, but it feels so good. It feels right. You know, oh, you probably should stop doing that. Yeah, but it feels right. So out of place anxiety, also out of place safety. Um, is another big king lie. Um, if it's not those two, maybe um, could be this one, and this is probably one of the biggest for me, um, is my, the king lie of my value is def- decided by my performance. Um, you have thoughts like, oh, I just have to prove my worth. Uh, you have thoughts like, I can't fail, or I can't let them know I failed, um, which happens a lot in, 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 I guess, Christian circles, even leadership. Um, because the need to sort of present yourself in a particular way is uh, really high, right? 
um, how was Friday? Oh, it was really, really good. You know, this is something I found myself doing a lot is because I had the need to present myself successful always, never failing. Um, success at any cost even. And this can lead to things like perfectionism, um, a fear of failure, uh, refusal to try new things, or even just the arrogance and pride that comes along with it. Um, this, this was huge for me because when I was younger, um, I had a lot of instances where I was led to believe my worth came from how I performed. Um, so so you, you might be familiar with little interactions that seem insignificant. You know, maybe it's a car ride after a game where... Uh, you know, the passionate parents are critiquing their children's game. Um, it can happen after prize givings. That's what happened for me. Um, I came home from school really excited to show my dad my awards. Uh, and he was going through them. So first for maths, first for English, second for music, second for art. And the only thing he had to ask me was, why did you come second in those subjects? Right? And... One thing that's true of, uh, of children, not just our children, but true for us when we were children, is uh, we are great re at recording information, remembering information, but we're terrible at interpreting information. So children can often remember what you've said, but instead of interpreting it as, oh, my dad believes I can do better and wants me to do my very best, I interpret it as, I came second, therefore I have no worth. And so um, this, this is a huge, huge one that affects uh, high-performing type individuals, right? Um, and, and it can even kind of find its way into affecting your faith as well because maybe you're led to pres always present some facade of perfectionism. Christians aren't allowed to drink. Christians aren't, aren't allowed to swear. And so you have this desire or this need to always present like a really crisp, version of yourself when deep down maybe you're struggling with a bit of stress I, uh, but i'm christian you know maybe you're struggling with your uh, relationships but you never let anyone in because you go i just need to always look like my marriage is so good my value is decided by my performance um pretty massive one this next one's another huge one right i hope you're doing all right right I know, it feels a bit yucky. It's like, oh, that's too, ah, oh, yeah. Um, this, this is another huge one for people, which is similar to the last one, but my value is decided by others, other people. As in um, how you feel about yourself is in the hands of someone else. And so you can have thoughts like, um, well, the only way to be happy is to be popular. Maybe not on those words, but there's a lot of importance based, uh, placed on, on people's perception of you. Right? Um, I must make everyone like me. And, and probably one of um, the ones that I think is, is, is particularly damaging is the idea you think like conflict is dangerous. Right? If someone says something or disagrees with you, you kind of like, uh, and you want to resolve things or even either adjust what you believe and profess to believe just to make sure that it's harmonious still. Right, um, And this can lead to things like constant unhappiness because you're constantly trying to do things that other people deem um, good and maybe are unhappy with 
being true to yourself. Um, a focus on appearance over character, um, or even a focus on popularity over progression. So if you're more concerned with your social standing over how you are developing and growing, right? Um, and then can also lead to just a fear of embarrassment because you never ever want to be frowned upon or laughed at because everyone else decides your value. Um, and, and I think this is, this is particularly um, evident in, in our circles, um, mainly because in a good way, and this is what we're very big on honoring, right? And we esteem people, and the Bible is very encouraging of honor. It's important to honor. Honor our pastors, honor our leaders. But one of those things, one of the, I guess, the flip side of those coins is, is when the honoring of someone becomes like there's such a big person to you that your worth is now in their hands. Um, I, I had this really funny interaction at our um, annual big youth camp, Summer Revolution, and um, I, was, I had the privilege of, of speaking one morning, um, but I was on the morning before um, two sessions that Pastor Jordan Smith had. And just for context, Jordan is a very, uh, a, a hero of mine, right? So um, when I got saved, he was a youth pastor in Auckland, uh, was pretty key in terms of um, releasing me to, to my gift. Um, and by that, I mean like three weeks in, he got me to preach to youth. Um, and, and he just, he, but he was very encouraging. He's like, oh, you can do this. Uh, gave me opportunities like Revolution Tour and trusting me. He goes, you know what? You know, uh, you know, it'd be a great idea for Revolution Tour. Let's just send you down to the South Island by yourself and just, just go and uh, do, do ministry down there. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, and so, so Jordan was a huge hero of mine. Um, when he moved down to Wellington, uh, he was a big reason as to why um, I wanted to consider moving to Wellington. Um, just, just legend to me, right? But I have to also acknowledge that this is something that is true for me also, is, is I cared so much about what my hero thought of me that it did affect me. And, and then I was, um, Jordan did two sessions at Summer Revolution, and he killed it. It was awesome. Um, and then I went up to him just as I normally would and just went to say, oh, hey, man, good work. Um, and as soon as I said that to him, he goes, oh, you're on tomorrow morning, eh? And I was like, yeah. He goes, oh, man, if I had another session, this is what I would have preached about, blah, blah, blah. And he basically gives me a whole nother sermon he would preach if he had my slot. And I can remember myself just standing there going, yeah, yeah. Because it was so different to what I had already prepared. And I found myself, like, I told all the boys, like, oh, no, I can't do this. I need to go. And I basically went to rewrite a sermon. Um, just because I was, like, so caught up in, oh, this is... Jordan, and um, I was sitting in the, the kitchen, like, typing away, creating new slides, and, and then it got to, like, 2.30 a.m., when I was just like, what am I doing? <laughs> right, but, but we, we you, you forget the power that these king lives can have, because it's just like, oh, but this is Jordan, and this is a hero of mine, and, and I wanted to just make him happy, I wanted to impress him, I found myself kind of reverting back to a child, just like wanting the approval of his superiors almost, right? 
But when your value is decided by others, this is, this is the effect that it can have on you because your worth is so, is hinged on, on other people's um, approval of you. And so you'll never, ever be able to fully become who God wants you to be when you're always trying to be who Jordan wants you to be or who this leader wants you to be. It's really key. And then the last one is um, this one here, which is, I'm not okay. I'm not good enough, you think things like that. Um, I guess this king lie is, if I was to summarize it, this king lie basically accepts that you are broken and there's nothing that can change that state. I'm not okay. Um, if people knew me, they wouldn't like me. Um, you know, and, and as I said, just the acknowledgement that there's nothing that can change this. Um, and just constantly leads to insecurity, um, self-hatred, depression, isolation, you know, because you don't see yourself being beneficial to any relationships. So it's better if you just keep to yourself um, failure to fulfill your potential. And and I guess for this one, this is pretty huge for people, because especially if you've um, gone through and, and as, as Hebrews 12 depicts, that you've picked up these wounds um, as, as you constantly remind yourself of your past and your past is the thing that is giving you true identity. Oh, but I went through this and I went through this and this has always been true, so it's going to be true for my future as well. And and, 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 and if this is a king lie that is feeding up towards you and your behaviors, you know, this, this really doesn't give room, firstly, for your own choices to change the trajectory of your life. But it also doesn't give room for the fact that God is a redemptive God and, and can bring these kind of changes through. It's in our frailty and our humanity that God as we read, is, is made strong. And so, if, if this is the king lie that you have, man, I, I really do hope that even, even today, just the uh, Holy Spirit can almost just light new hope that things can change for you, that things can be healed for you, that you may have gone through a, a, an experience that broke you, but you are not broken, Right? That you may have been hurt, but you are not defined, that your identity is not defined by that past thing. And so, so these, these are the five king lies that I kind of wanted just to highlight because I think if, if we can better steward our own mental and emotional well-beings in terms of acknowledging, all right, yeah, okay, there's, there's been a few behaviors that have um, brushed people up the wrong way but now that I've kind of connected thoughts, feelings down, it's that. It's because I, I, I'm so convinced that my value is in my performance. I'm so convinced that I'm just broken. I'm so convinced that nothing I do will change anything. So that's why I, I'm, I have to take responsibility. And, and I just want to ask everyone in this room to stand because this, this is something, um, probably a, a, a critique of current um, popular culture 
is, is we are so big on awareness, which is important. It's important to be aware, but awareness will never bring freedom, right? Pointing at someone's broken leg doesn't heal the leg. It just tells them that they have a problem. And so it's important that we become aware of, of these things. Go, okay, yeah, yeah. And, I, and the more I've done this, the better it's, it's produced for me. But it's not just going, okay, yeah, I, I really care about what Jordan thinks about me. It's actually going, okay, but what does God think about me? And how can I better align myself to what God thinks about me? It's, it's, it's cool to have people you look up to, but I can never place Jordan's approval of me above God's approval of me. And that's not a conditional approval. That's more like a freedom of, Bola, this is who I've created you to be. Enjoy it. So it's not just awareness that brings freedom. It's, it's truth. And, and we know this. Jesus, we know the truth. The truth will set you free. And I just want to flick through the five, just the titles. I'll just go through the titles. But could you just now, in your head and your heart, just identify. So for me, even, even now, with still trying to get better at this stuff, I'd say three of those are really still big for me. But could you just identify, maybe it's one, maybe it's two, maybe it's more. But could you just identify a king lie that you acknowledge, you're like, yeah, that's that's probably something that's deep in the root. And as Hebrews encourages us, good stewardship means letting go of those things. And so allowing God's truth into those lies to replace them. So that you're not going, oh, it's not my value is not decided by my performance or by other people. I have innate worth because of God. It's not my choices don't matter. No, God has empowered me. I'm not broke. No, no, no. God has redeemed me. I'm a new creation. It's allowing God's truth into that. So could you just identify one and then keep that in front of front of mind? Maybe it's uh, my choices don't matter. Maybe for you it's my feelings are always right. My feelings are my, my bearing of truth. Maybe it's your value is decided by your performance. Maybe it's values being decided by other people. Or maybe it's I am broken. I'm not okay. As I said, if you know the truth, truth will set you free. And I just want to read, it's, this is a, uh, you might, you can find this stuff on YouTube, but I love reading this because this is essentially God's word summed up into a love letter. But I just would like to read a couple of scriptures over you and to you. And I just want to invite you all across this room, maybe you want to close your eyes and just let the words kind of sit over you as you think about that, that lie. Or maybe you want to raise a hand and just invite God in, into that space to allow His truth to replace that king lie. You may not know me, but I know everything about you. I know when you sit down and when you rise up, 
I'm familiar with all your ways. Even the very hairs on your head are numbered. For you were made in my image. In me you live and move and have your being. For you are my offspring. I knew you. Even before you were conceived, I chose you. When I planned creation, you were not a mistake. For all your days are written in my book. I determined the exact time of your birth and where you would live. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. I knit you together in your mother's womb and brought you forth on the day you were born. I have been misrepresented by those who don't know me. I'm not distant and angry, but I'm the complete expression of love. And it is my desire to lavish my love on you simply because you are my child and I'm your father. I offer you more than your earthly father ever could, for I am the perfect father. Every good gift that you receive comes from my hand, for I'm your provider and I meet all your needs. My plan for your future has always been filled with hope because I love you with an everlasting love. My thoughts towards you are countless as the sand on the seashore and I rejoice over you with singing. I will never stop doing good to you for you are my treasured possession. I desire to establish you with all my heart and all my soul and I want to show you great and marvelous things. If you seek me with all your heart, you will find me. Delight in me and I will give you the desires of your heart for the desire that gave you those desires. I'm able to do more for you than you could possibly imagine for I'm your greatest encourager. I'm also the father who comforts you in all your troubles. When you are brokenhearted, I'm close to you. As a shepherd carries a lamb, I've carried you close to my heart. One day I will wipe away every tear from your eyes and I'll take away all the pain you have suffered on this earth. I'm your father and I love you even as I love my son Jesus for in Jesus, my love for you is revealed. He is the exact representation of my being. He came to demonstrate that I am for you, not against you and to tell you that I'm not counting your sins. Jesus died so that you and I could be reconciled. His death was the ultimate expression of my love for you. I gave up everything I loved that you I'm again your love. And if you receive the gift of my son Jesus, you receive me and nothing will ever separate you from my love again. Come home and I'll throw the biggest party heaven has ever seen. I've always been father and will always be father. My question is, will you be my child? If you know the truth, the truth will set you free. Just with eyes closed right over this place and hands lifted. Um, just as the team carry on and um, just in, in worship, I just want to give you some space just to, so God, the Holy Spirit, can just land on some of those lies that you have believed, those wounds that you've picked up along the way. Maybe this is something that you've not thought about because it was something that happened when you were like five or six. Maybe it was a small, seemingly insignificant um, interaction with a friend, family, or loved one. But Holy Spirit, would you just land now on on the the lies that we believe about ourselves? And would you just begin the process of replacing those lies with your truth? Thanks for listening to this podcast. Check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch.